0: Welcome to the Ozone. Hello and welcome to the Ozone. I'm your host, Jeff Hazard, Assistant Director of Athletics and Sports Information Director here at SUNY Oneonta. And today my guest is head women's and men's tennis coach Lonnie Mitchell. Welcome to the show, Lonnie.
1: Thanks. It's so good to be here. I appreciate it.
0: Um, So, of course, now we're, we're communicating virtually. Uh, with the current situation that we're in, not a lot of people on campus, uh, certainly sports are not going on, uh, you know, fall and winter sports were were suspended due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so maybe before we get into some of the other, you know, your life in tennis, I really wanna talk about your life in tennis, uh, because you know, and you've told us before that it's, you know, tennis is a lifelong activity. You can, you know, pick it up as a, a little child and you can play it for the rest of your life. So. Before we get into that part of it, I just want to talk about uh, how are you dealing with the with the situation that we're in, and, and how is it, you know, how are you doing it with your team, your
1: teams? Yeah, so uh, we're we're all very frustrated. I think that's a, a repeated r- remark from most coaches and people in in sports. Um, so the important thing right now is just to continually engage the players. And uh, I try to have Team Microsoft meetings every other week with either the men and or women and uh, just to go ahead and and send them a lot of social media, meaning a lot of texts and group me's. And I think they just like to hear from me, letting them know that that tennis is safe. And I mean, in the sense that, you know, the team is safe and we can move forward whenever we get back. Um, and they appreciate it. I think as much as I'm a bit of a pain in the neck, they get they uh, kind of get unsettled when I they don't hear from me for a couple of days. What's going on? Are we playing? So um, at this point, I would say that's just how I'm handling it with my players. Um, and they appreciate. It. They all want to play. They all want to get back. And I think they all understand what I've been preaching all along—that this tennis thing that we have at, at a school like SUNY Oneana, where tennis is valued, is certainly a privilege. And I even, you know, I'm reminded of that every day just because of the situation we're in. How I'm handling it is is exactly that is is right. Although for the last almost nine years at the college, I haven't had too much of a balanced lifestyle with coaching, especially in season. So I'm enjoying the balance of my life. But to be honest with you, it's not what we signed up for. We want to get back to coaching.
0: Right. And so uh, you feel that, um, you know, even if it's just a weekly touch with your student athletes, uh, you know, that 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 helps them, uh, you know, because obviously there, there's a lot of mental health involved. And like you said, they want to play, you know, they're just kind of online all the time with their classes. And So you think that that touch with them kind of helps them
1: along with what they're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, you use the words weekly. I'm uh, uh, routinely, I'm in touch with them almost on a daily basis. Um, We have a GroupMe app, uh, which has come in handy. Uh, I haven't always been technologically savvy, but the players set that up for me and I I just give them a daily update, even if it's just nonsense hey what's going on this is what's going on in the athletic department um we spoke today we had a coaches meeting and we're trying to do our socialization plan for the spring we're trying to play whether it be uh, an uplifting remark or just wishing them a happy holiday just so they can hear from hear from me and i would say almost on a weekly or at least at the very least every other week we have team meetings And then, of course, the the department itself has, um, you know, athletic functions, which I remind them of as well, which is another time for us to get together. At least I get to see their name. So the engagement just myself with them and even with the athletic department um, has been very, very helpful. As much as they complain, well, there's so many things at the end of the day, they want to be part of the athletic environment in some way, shape or
0: form. Right. So now, uh, earlier, you said, you know, yourself, you're finding kind of more of a life balance, uh, you know, during this time, just because we're not involved in, you know, daily practices and and competitions. Um, And that really kind of goes along with your uh, core four philosophy that you preach uh, with your players. Can you talk about how you maybe developed that philosophy and how you think it helps with this whole balance of, of life?
1: Yeah, I I think those those components, the core four philosophy, the the body language, the footwork, the poise, the consistency, all of those things are really, quite frankly, are coming into play right now in the real life. I mean, just every day, bad news, how many hundreds of thousands of people have gotten sick to covid and. You know, in a sales environment, in a real-world environment, just trying to hold together the poise, be patient. You know, I think that's really become valuable. Um, You know, if you were playing tennis, uh, you know, a tennis match, even in the professional ranks, if you're playing best three out of five sets, you know, that can last four or five hours. I mean, four or five hours of just mental toughness and staying in the moment. Well, okay, this has been a nine month tennis match and every day is just another point to have to play. Ultimately it's going to end. Ultimately is that match is going to end. And ultimately we're gonna come out of this bigger and better and, and stronger. So all of those things, just being have a positive attitude, um having the poise to get with it, staying in the moment, staying focused. <sighs> Gosh, I just feel like some days it's never going to end. And then I revert back to that, um, to those philosophies being coached. Ironically, I think um, I will be a better coach because of this, uh, because we're living in an environment where I can really use it figuratively and literally that these Um, obstacles that we're going through right now will help us be better tennis players. It may not look so bad when we have to practice for two hours in the middle of the afternoon and and it's in the dog days of the season. And I say, well, remember when. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, um, so how does that translate to uh, during your recruiting uh, process? When you're recruiting a a prospective student athlete, uh, how do you apply that philosophy to someone that you really would like to make part of your tennis program?
1: Yeah. So normally when you have a conversation with uh, a potential student athlete or even a family, it's it's really very interesting. And I've lived this even back in the day. High school tennis maybe not be as popular as and uh, for lack of a better way to say it as sexy as being a a football player, which gets a lot of attention and um, uh, a basketball player. So when they meet a coach who's been, maybe not the social studies teacher in the school, just playing, coaching tennis in the afternoon. And I can talk about specific things like the core four, how it relates to academics, how it relates to playing tennis and the fact that they'll hear much of that all the time. um, I think the parents and the student ultimately, is attracted to SUNY Oneonta in that regard, and I deliver on I deliver on that. I think maybe with my marketing and sales background also, um, and recruiting is much the same. Is that I guess you can say closing the sale has been very highly effective. I'm disproportionately successful in landing a lot of players to come to Oneonta, not always. And those you have to lick your wounds. You can't close every deal, but. Um, just by the size of my roster is how successful that philosophy has been. I think it's, it's almost not debatable um, that, uh, that those things work. They hear it. And fortunately or unfortunately, when they get here, and I'm kind of all the time involved with the players, I say unfortunately because sometimes they want to be social, they want to do other things, and I say, well, now I'm delivering on what I told you back in that recruiting meeting. I'm being a pain in the neck and we're going to be doing those things, it's ultimately going to pay off. Right. So my retention has been really good. I, I have to be, you know, ragnosis about that, as well as, um, you know, the recruiting. I, and the bad part about it is I always feel like I could do more. Like right. there's only 24 hours a day, and I wish I could travel all over the country and get those kinds of players, but, you know, there's only so many hours of the day, and you're at a Division three environment where academics is important, so, you know, you try to find the balance. Right. Um, well, so let's uh, transition a little
0: bit and, and talk about, uh, begin to talk about your life in tennis and the sport of tennis and how much it's given to you. I know that you would probably say that it's probably given more to you than maybe you've given to it, the sport itself. Um, so why don't you just talk about when you first started playing and how you really grew, grew to love and, and make
1: t- tennis your passion? Gosh, I mean, there are. There are days now, I mean, I'm going to get back to that. Um, I've been playing golf a little bit. Well, it's getting cold now, but I've been playing golf in this so-called balanced time. It's one of the only sports in addition to another tennis. Another
0: lifetime but, activity. Golf golf is another sorry? lifetime
1: activity. It's another life act- act- time activity. And um, my father, who, and I'm going to get to your answer, my father, who's 90 years old, I play with him fairly often, You know, he was the one who dragged me out of bed on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning and said, let's go play tennis, where the cool thing was to go play baseball and, you know, and street hockey. That's where, you know, I grew up in a working class community. So tennis was not the sport. Yeah. Somehow my father had a real big, had a long term vision of you know, what's going to, and, and I loved sports, what was going to make him successful in sports by introducing me to the game of tennis. And I was, I was not popular because of that, not in a bad way, but it just, I just didn't play the other sports as much as I developed tennis. So my father would never take no for an answer. He dragged my for lack, dragged my butt out of bed. I used to put the blanket over my head. I'm not going. This is, I know this is not politically correct, but this is, that's what they would say at that time. This is a sissy sport. We're not going to play. Nobody plays. You're going to play and you're going to like it. Yeah. Well, I didn't like it right away, but I liked sports. So, um, and he wanted to play even selfishly. So he dragged my, you know, butt out of bed on those mornings early, even in the chilly weather, indoor courts was, wasn't popular at that time. And finally, he used to say, "Okay, we'll go out for pizza if you could take a couple of games off me. And I would find incentives to, you know, that was all I needed, an incentive. Finally, you realize you get good at you're getting good at something. When you get good at something, you start to to find the passion in it and you can improve in that way. And so uh, I stayed locally and I played tennis, used to play every day after school every day there was a local club that opened up one of the first indoor facilities and i joined a junior program there and i could go and they allowed us you paid for the lessons but you could play every day after school for free if you just paid for the one lesson a week
0: yeah
1: so i played every day pretty much uh, through uh, through high school and um i got really good and i became really passionate and I used to watch Jimmy Connors play on T V and Chris Everett, you know, most of the the most of the watchers who are watching this won't even know who Chris Everett was, yeah. but she was one of the all time greats. She was an eighteen time Grand Slam title. Of course she was real pretty too. Yeah. But she she played tennis the way I still do. If you ever watch old highlights of it, she was so focused, so in the moment, so determined. And heart strokes were just picture perfect and I just emulated that and I loved Jimmy Connors grit. So those two components really evolved into how I became a a competitive tennis player. And those things all drove me throughout the life. I can still, I still catch myself on YouTube watching their old highlights. They really, rather than the new modern players, because at the end of the day, even though modern tennis is, is a little bit different, if you can play like the way those players played at the Division three level, and even at the highest level, you are going to be successful. Right. So those things still drive me. Um, and even into my adult life, up until the time I got married and, and had started having children, I would play four to five times a week, joining local tournaments, USTA tournaments. I would never stop playing. Right. Um, and then, of course, the the old club where i used to uh play every day after school asked me if i wanted to coach because i used to kind of be a student of the game always looking how to improve how do i how do i get better talking tennis with the coaches there at the time i found myself on a tennis court teaching tennis every day (laughs) after after work yeah i used to go every day and then teach tennis to kids and
0: and you continued to teach at all levels. I mean, taught, um, you taught know, some, some players who have gone on to, to college careers. And, and you know, more than 30 years, you actually ran your own summer adult tennis camp um, you know, for
1: many yeah, years. One, one summer, I, I opened a, a tennis business. It's so interesting. It was called the Tennis Experience. This is in the early 90s. And we, we leased out space at a prep school and for every weekend, adults from the city would come up, and I would run all the all the tennis programs. They would stay in the dorms. I would stay in the dorms, and every weekend we would socialize. And I'd coach them every weekend. It was so it was so much fun. Um, and yes, we made some money too. Um, but gosh, it was so much work. And my wife, uh, we were having young babies, so I couldn't give up my weekend. So um, I didn't do it the following summer. Although they asked me to come back, I sold the business, but. Um, yeah, and I, which yeah. that opened the door for me to be working in the hospitality industry. It's, I was just
0: going to say, you you kind of transitioned a little bit, and then you got into the whole, you know, travel and tourism, hospitality area with your, you know, your business and marketing background. Uh, now, just to make a note, you did play collegiately at Fairleigh Dickinson.
1: I played at Nassau, I played at Nassau Community College, because yeah. I was a local boy. Um, And they went. We went to the nationals at that time, Um, and then I was recruited uh, to several uh, um, from going on to other schools, um, four-year schools, to to play. Fairleigh Dickinson was a Division One institution, and um, I played there briefly. But I was more into my studies at that point. And to be honest, I if I had to do it over again, I would have gone to play Division Three. Okay. Okay. Because it was so it was morning, noon and night. And um, and I, so I ended up just playing a lot of tournaments, local yep. tournaments and um, and playing competitively that way. OK, that was more important for me to evolve um, because I needed to grow, grow with my studies. Yep. And at that time, uh, tennis was becoming a place where so many international students were coming um, yep. to play collegiate tennis. Yeah. And they were really good. Not that I wasn't good not that I wasn't good enough. I was. But I need to graduate. And yeah. so the balance of 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 collegiate tennis at that level was very, very different than what it is at division three level. My right. father said you're not gonna play Wimbledon. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. So now yeah. how so how did you find your way into the whole, you know, travel, tourism, you know, the hospitality area? Why don't you talk a little bit about your career, because that's kind of what you were doing prior to coming to Oniana. So, you know, give us a little highlights of that. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I always looked at, and, and this is sort of interesting. I remember when I was coaching tennis at a, at a young age, I um, um. I always thought of myself as, and, and this is with no disrespect to any any tennis teacher every, anywhere, because it's a very it's a very noble profession. But to stand on a tennis court for 35 hours a week feeding tennis balls. Well, in the afternoons, you can do that with higher level students. You also have to teach in the middle of the day, you know, um, you know, working with people who work or they're home and they're just taking tennis recreationally, which is just incredibly important. And you don't get benefits you don't there are no sick days there's no 401k plans there's no i mean you if you get sick you don't make money right. so um i got away from my tennis coaching on that in that regard and uh because of the experience i had with 10 the tennis experience i fell into um and my sales background uh with that experience i was tapped uh, to work in the hospitality industry when I put my resume out there. I worked for a company called um, Kingdom Tours, which was a Disney wholesale company. They were a distributor of the Disney product line, um, meaning Disney resorts, Disney, um, Disney hotels in California. And then um, the actual Disney company itself recruited me to come work for them.
0: Okay.
1: And I was working in New York, for the walt disney company um i was responsible for inaugurating disney cruise line in 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 the in the uh, the mid 90s and the dis and disney destinations disneyland disney california i was responsible for the whole new york market of course there was a story behind all that i grew into the role but ultimately that's what happened well guess what i was doing every day after work Tennis was just in my blood, yeah. so I would get to work every day early, seven thirty, so I could leave early every day, so I could go teach tennis every day. Yeah. Um, so you, well, actually, you can, so you you had can imagine of,
0: how busy I was. Yeah. So you so you probably had best of both worlds for you. You know, you, again, you had that stability of a job and working and doing, but the benefits and all that, and then you got to go after work, look forward to that passion
1: of of coaching and teaching. Uh, the game of tennis every every day, two to three hours every day. And then I would go back to work, work. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I worked on Long Island in New York. Very expensive, you know, proposition yeah. that, you know, so you just you have to make a lot of money <laughs> to yeah. afford
0: afford
1: the lifestyle. And of course, I would work half day Saturdays and work half day Sundays in on a tennis court. It was seven days a week and two two jobs, 70 hours a week. Yeah. And my wife would say, why don't you just give up the tennis? And I said, I can't. I'm never going to give it up.
0: Yeah.
1: So uh, with that, both of my children uh, became really good tennis players because of my involvement. And one played tennis at Muhlenberg College, um, Division Three, And one played um, uh, at SUNY Oneonta for me for two years, although I, I say this tongue-in-cheek. Uh, he didn't like the coach very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. so, um, you know, it was a lot of tennis for the whole family and my wife also, I've met because of tennis and she actually, um, played, at what, in, um, with a three over three five level, which is considered high level recreational tennis. And then she was a runner up in the state championship. So we are a tennis family first, uh, at the end of the day, first and foremost, Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I worked for the Walt Disney Company, and then I went to work for Royal Caribbean International in a very similar capacity, and ultimately Sandals, Beaches, and Resorts, all in the same capacity. Through 20-plus years, I worked two jobs, always coaching tennis. In addition, writing for Tennis Magazine, Long Island Tennis Magazine, New York Tennis Magazine... Um a, a interesting story, one of my former students who I ended up giving a lesson to was one of his first tennis lessons. He grew up and he became the publisher of this magazine because he because of the love of the game, yeah. Lonnie, we need writers yeah Wow so for the last twelve years I'm writing for tennis magazine and uh, almost every month, my work is published and and you know so it's all tennis, yeah yeah.
0: So. Well, and again, it's, it's not a bad thing. And so I'd like to really, you know, as we kind of get towards the end of this conversation, I'd like to have you reflect on your opportunities. Uh, and there's been multiple opportunities to coach internationally at a level that a lot of people don't get to do and actually represent the United States. Um, so if you could just tell us about the different opportunities that you did have. And one of those actually took you back to uh, Germany right? Berlin. Yes. Where as a Jewish man, uh, that was quite an experience for you where you kind of went back almost to the place, you know, you got to see the places where the Holocaust kind of happened a little bit. And cause, so maybe you can talk about that international experience and what you think that is, that has done for
1: you and what it's meant for you. Yeah. So I have coached, um, uh, five at five different times, um, in, uh, uh, in an international experience for the Maccabi Games, which is a division of the International Olympic Committee, uh, for those people who are watching, those who um, are who are Jewish, um, have an opportunity to try out for uh, these special, you know, these we'll call them special games, right. um, which are open to only Jewish athletes. Every every four years, um, the games are held in Israel. And you have Olympic competition there. Most of the athletes there are Division One level. Some are even professionals, although the Jewish component waters, waters down the talent. It's still very, very high level. You know, I, I, I throw some names out there like Mark Spitz competed at the Maccabi Games. Brad Gilbert, who coached Andre Agassi, got to number five in the world, play, played there. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'm just going to rewind back. There was a guy who uh, his name is Bob Litwin. It won't mean anything to uh, the watchers out there, the viewers. He was the number one amateur player in the world. And I was lucky enough to work with him one summer um, at a country club teaching tennis on the weekends. And he was an He was the number one player in the world. Anybody who's number one in the world in in anything, I'm going to listen to what he has to say. (laughs) And he was really instrumental, and he was also of the Jewish faith, and he asked me, um, because of, I guess, the experience, he liked me as a coach and and my seriousness and my approach, asked me to coach with him one year in in Israel, uh, which... Of course, I had to interview and be approved by the committees. And yeah. um, so fast forward to that, I was approved and he has since retired from coaching. So I've been now the, the head coach for some of these teams. And during those travels, back to answer to your questions, one of the games in the summer of 2015, I was fortunate enough to coach in Berlin, Germany. And I was coaching um, some Masters players as well as some of the top juniors around the country and um that particular year was the do my numbers correct it was the 70th anniversary of the end of the world war ii so it was really i guess really instrumental in that the the international olympic committee and the maccabi union picked that site to bring athletes of the jewish faith back to germany so our opening ceremonies if you can imagine were in the Um, In the Olympic Stadium in in Berlin. And if you ever see the black and white, um, that's where Jesse Owens broke all the records and Hitler was, um, you know, uh, I guess was in his box. And so, you know, I always would think what would have happened if he came back to life and saw these Jewish athletes coming in, (laughs) working into the stadium. Yeah. Um, There was a lot of it was frightening in that there were a lot of guards all over the threats of terrorism and there were a lot of um, things that but I just could not go. I could not in good good faith uh, be a part of this. At the end of the day, we were very well protected and um, and uh, we competed and I coached and um, it was different venues throughout not just tennis, but, you know, swimming and basketball and a variety all the Olympic sports were were contested in that environment now that was a regional game so the competition wasn't as strong as it is in, the, in the, as it is in Israel every four years but the level of play was really tremendous and just to put on your USA jersey and uh and be a part of that experience well it was beyond what I ever thought I remember seeing written up in the New York Times and There's a famous story story of Marty Glickman, who was a very, who actually ended up being a play-by-play guy for the for the New York Jets. And um, I don't know know if you know the name. He was Jewish, and just because they, he was running for the United States Olympic team, not the Maccabi team. The United States Olympic team, and at the last moment, so not to offend the German government, he Uh, was pulled from the, he was pulled from the. uh, I think he was running the the team the running relays and the night before and they said that we couldn't have him run so that so marty glitman he had since passed but his family was there as part of the opening ambassadors for the um for the uh for the u.s team in in that environment so it was a really political thing very big political before world war ii and 70 years later we came back and Kind of in your face to to the Nazi Germany at that time. Right, right. Very very moving experience. Yeah. Um, so um,
0: so yeah. I mean, I again, I just think that um, you know, celebrating tennis as a lifelong activity, and certainly uh, speaking with you about how tennis has impacted your life, and and the things that you've been able to do, and the experiences and the opportunities that you've had uh, through. You know, the game of tennis again, like you said, I mean, tennis sometimes doesn't, you know, it's almost, you know, becomes a second tier or an afterthought for a lot of people. But people don't understand that no matter when you're playing at that level, (laughs) like you said, if you're ranked number one in the world in anything, it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. It means you're (laughs) like like the best
1: the you know? best and and so i became a student of this one number one amateur player he's since written books and so forth and he at much of that core four philosophy actually came from him um i maybe just market it and branded it a little bit differently yeah. um but it's it, yeah so you know you go full circle oh my god tennis has given me the opportunity to come to suny oneana i find myself as a professor in a classroom because I'm able to talk about all those marketing experiences and sales se- experience with some of those high-level companies and teaching these students not just to be successful in business but the branding and how you can brand yourself and how you can synergize all of your skills into growth in your life but I mean I thank God every day just because the tennis was and my business background opened the door to work at a school like SUNY Oneyana and the people I've, I've met yourself, uh, the athletic director and my colleagues, my coaches, it's been, I mean, how fortunate Right. tennis. Right. And, uh, well, and I talk about that with all the other athletes at school, not just the tennis players, right. the valuable right. the skills that we are learning as athletes become so marketable. Yep.
0: And, uh, so, and we certainly, I think I want to uh, close with that. I, I think the message is clear that um, you know, we certainly appreciate what you have brought to Oneonta and that philosophy. And I, I know that uh, the student athletes do appreciate uh, when they do get a chance and an opportunity to sit down and just talk about these life lessons kind of things. Um, so we want to thank you for that. And, and certainly, I want to thank you again for spending some time with me here today. Um, and what I've been doing with all my guests is I have a quick five questions I want to ask you, and you just kind of rattle off the first thing that pops into your head. They're just real simple. All right, so we're okay. going to go through the five of them. Uh, so first question: What's your favorite meal?
1: Oh, at the end of the day, if I if, at the end of the day, give me a piece of pizza, good and greasy <laughs> with pepperoni, yum.
0: Yep, that's a popular answer. Popular answer. Uh, what is your favorite
1: movie all time? Oh, that's an easy question. Um, Actually, it's not a tennis movie. It's a baseball movie. It stars Robert Redford. It's called The Natural. Yeah, okay. Um, um It's different than the book. It also was a book, but the movie kind of it, it, it's it's gets me sappy at the end. It's <laughs> trying for good and evil, but yeah. Robert Redford, great baseball movie. ESPN called it one of the top five baseball movies, sport movies, top ten of all time. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't know, know of it, but yeah. and I still have... Roy Hobbs Jersey. I bought one online. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but I have it. And a jacket in oh. the baseball coach often talks to me about it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is your favorite genre of music? Um, you know, I, I love, I love eighties. I 80s love music. the old wave music of the 1980s, you know, the Blondie, the B-52, yep. the Go-Go's yep. um, the, one, the one hit wonders. Uh, the one-hit wonders. Yeah. They're just very peppy, upbeat. I think it goes right to my per- personality. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Uh, what? Uh, who's your favorite athlete all time?
1: I, I think I have to go uh, those two players that I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, I mean, Chris Everett, to me, was just the darling of all. Yeah. You know, um, it, the people who are watching in this era, people won't know Chris Everett, perhaps. just read about her jimmy connors and i have to say um basketball michael jordan not because he was one of the greatest if not the greatest of all time but the way he just was so focused and his will to win and um and makes people better around him and and his and how successful he's become away from basketball right okay uh,
0: place you would most like to visit? I know you're an international traveler, but is there a place that you haven't been that you would like to get to?
1: Um, I talk about this all the time. I, I've been traveling. I've been to Europe and South America and many other places. I've been very fortunate, but I have yet to been um, to Australia and New Zealand. And okay. um, And by the way, you go to Australia, the famous Australian Open. I'd like to go during the Australian Open time and yep. see the tournament there. Yeah. Um, tennis there is viewed much differently than it is in the United States. I mean, you play tennis there, you are a god. Yeah. <laughs> tennis was, is, really, is really big there in addition to soccer and Australian rules football, but
0: Australia, New Zealand. Okay.
1: Uh, well, uh,
0: that comes to the end of our conversation. And uh, again, Lonnie, I want to thank you for joining me today and, and certainly continue, you know, best of luck. And hopefully we'll get to play some springtime tennis.
1: I can't wait. And Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. It's been a privilege and an honor. I thank you. All right. Well, you're welcome. And
0: uh, I'd like to thank you, the viewers and the listeners, uh, for taking time out of your day to uh, take on the uh, ozone and and give a little listen. And we certainly encourage you each time we post an episode, you can uh, download it from our website onto your smart devices, and you can always watch it on our YouTube channel. So until next time. Thank you for joining us on the Ozone.